2: Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Tennessee Power Hour is here, and we go live to Titans training camp. Paul Koharski standing by with the very latest on the Tennessee Titans as they wrap up Monday's practice. They had the day off yesterday. Practice today, pads tomorrow, and the big news today, PK, as we look up and see that you have a great backdrop. You're looking bright today. I don't know if you got the lights on or not, but it looks great. Um, Caleb Oh, that's the sun. Natural light, even better. Caleb Farley makes his debut. He passed a physical along with Jeremy McNichols and Tyson Brylo, But the news is Caleb Farley, the rookie, makes his debut. Tell us about his day.
1: Well, he didn't do any teamwork, as you would expect. but um, And I don't know that he did anything beyond individual period. But um, he was all in. You know, a lot of times a guy will come off uh, one of those lists and be kind of uh, timid, Uh, do it halfway, bow out before the period's over, take limited reps, all of that. I I thought he looked like a guy who was ready uh, for sure. I I thought he uh, was really good. Um, And he... He was wearing red gloves. He has uh, red on the top of his shoes. Uh, so he kind of stood out and uh, I just thought they're, they're, the maybe the last thing he did was a drill where they were working against receivers on releases. So the receivers were coming off the line. Um, they were doing it coming off the sideline. And so the receivers coming off the line and trying to break free of the defensive back with hand work. And, um, Farley didn't look the least bit timid there. He was uh, aggressive, assertive. He was twisting. He was talking. Um, There wasn't anything timid about the way he was approaching it. So uh, I know we tend to read in too much on some of these things. But to me, uh, he looked like a guy who's, who's ready, uh, who was doing everything to the fullest in what he was allowed to do. And I imagine uh, we'll see more and more of him as time allows it. But it was an encouraging day. Of course, Vrabel says uh, Todd Torricelli and the strength the strength department will evaluate what he did today, how he feels tomorrow morning, and they'll go forward from there.
2: Well, I think it's the the indication. I was going to ask you what Vrabel said. Do you get an indication that, or, or you assume that this is kind of the pace they're going to take him on? Where we're not going to see him like when when pads pop on tomorrow, we're not going to see him in, in press coverage, are we? Like, are they going to take it slow? I would-
1: I would doubt it. Uh, I mean, it doesn't make much sense to hurry right out of the gate, but, um, you know, I think if we see him doing what he's doing for a few days and then ramp up and maybe do, uh, some one-on-ones, uh, or get involved in seven on sevens, that would be the natural progression. Um, and you know, beyond what he did, then when they went to a special teams period after that, he worked on the side with, uh, Jack rabbit Jenkins, uh, And, you know, it's always nice to see that uh, veteran-youngster relationship. Jenkins spoke very uh, highly of him, about what he's been doing in the building, about his promise, and about his inquisitiveness, uh, about the relationship that he can have with a guy like that, imparting some wisdom, and, um, and, and his willingness to take that kind of coaching, his eagerness to take that kind of coaching and the skill that he brings to the group. I feel compelled to say on on a day when Farley emerges, Christian Fulton actually showed up a little bit more. He had an interception of Ryan Tannehill on a pass for AJ Brown. It was not a good pass, but I think it was a confidence building moment. It was a red zone pass into the left front of the end zone. Um, And I, I think any good cornerback should have jumped it, but, um, Fulton did his job there. He got his hand on a couple other balls, too. I think it was a confidence-building day for Fulton. I wonder if it's coincidence that it coincided with, you know, the reemergence of Caleb Farley as things are going to get more competitive in that uh, defensive backfield and at cornerback. So uh, that's something to keep an eye on. But certainly probably Fulton's most active day. And about him, Vrabel said, you know, needs to be more consistent uh, but showed up today.
2: I'm going to get to what, I, what I'm told that coaches are stressing with Fulton in a moment, uh, but let's stay on Farley and the storyline for a moment here because going into camp, we know Bud Dupree, it's, the, the process is going to be slower for him. We we had an, we could assume when camp started that he wasn't going to be available. We may not see him until week one at the earliest. With Farley, we just did not know. And, and so while we, we still don't know if the, if the back issues flare up down the road, what we do know is he's healthy enough exactly at this moment. That, that is a big check mark for this Titans defense that is, is taken care of a week into camp when, honestly, Paul, we, we didn't know when he was going to practice.
1: Yeah, we had no idea. I, I think the fact that he's out here and off PUP or NFI uh, today, the uh, Monday after the first day off. Uh, suggest that it, barring a setback, he should be ready for opening day, right? I mean, he's got what four weeks. Uh, they have three games. We don't know if we'll see him in those games, but certainly he's on uh, a timetable now that would suggest, um, again, barring setbacks that he should be ready for opening day. I, I, I think that's a fair jump in logic from anyone watching what's going on today and listening to the way people are talking. Uh, you don't come off the list this far in advance of opening day without creating an expectation that you would be ready on that time.
2: Paul, uh, I saw on Twitter, Julio Jones went in early. What did Vrabel say about Julio Jones's status?
1: Yeah, I asked uh, if he's okay. And he said, yeah, Uh, he said, you know, Todd Torricelli, again, the director of sports medicine wanted to take him in that they wanted to get him involved in some team period. That might've really frankly been his first uh, action in team period uh, somebody over here is nodding, I think, agreeing with that assessment. Um, so he got some. I, it wasn't a terrible landing by anything. It was one of those landings where you think, uh, you know, uh, maybe tweak something there. But um, I, and nobody watching thought like, oh, my God, you know, there goes a guy for three weeks or something like that. So, you know, maybe it costs him a couple of days. They, they're going to be very delicate with him anyway, right? Um, so, you know, maybe he's in shorts tomorrow when they're in pads, uh, maybe they weren't going to do anything with him anyway. Um, and sometimes these things turn into something, right. You know, that happens. And then 10 days later, you're saying, remember when, uh, you know, we had that mm-hmm. slightly awkward landing and nobody thought it was anything. And here we are, but, uh, based on how it unfolded and the reaction to it today, I, I'd be surprised if it's anything, but there are plenty of times I've been surprised.
0: Paul, there is never a dull moment with the Titans kicking situation, and it took a few twists and turns over the weekend. We talked about the addition of James Wilhoyt to coach the kickers last Friday. Things took place over the weekend, and now we've got another layer to the Titans kicker situation today. What is the latest?
1: Sam Ficken is here, a uh, waiver claim from the Jets, and look. I don't think he's the solution, but here's a guy who's hit some kicks in the league. Um, What was he, 12 or 13 for for 15 last year for the Jets, and his only misses were from 50 or longer last year. I mean, compared to what they have here, that's a resume. And uh, he missed, I think, three of 15 extra points last year. Compared to what they have here, that's an NFL resume. And if you're looking to create, you know, uh, uh, a young kicker with his own resume and not be in the market for a kicker next year and the year after again and again with these young, for lack of a better term, scrubs, as I like to call them. Um, they got one, rid of one of those in Blake Hawbeal, um, a, a guy who didn't have what looked to be a resume that suggested he was going to be an NFL kicker. He's out, Ficken's in. Ficken looks to me to be a guy who – You know, there's more reason to have hopes about than there is uh, with with Tucker McCann. So baby steps. But, you know, right now, should you feel better about the, the the best guy on the roster than you did on Friday? Sure. They didn't kick today. It was an off day for kickers. So I imagine we'll have some kicks to track tomorrow. And I imagine he'll look better than either of the guys that they had on the roster last time two guys kicked.
2: Well, let's just let's lay it out a bit further here um, because my, my feelings have not changed one way or the other based on Sam Ficken being in camp, and Paul, I know you feel the same way here. Stephen Goskowski is going to get a phone call, and, and to me, it's, it's more realistic when you think about it from this sense. They are always going to have two kickers on the practice field at all times, not just during training camp. These two are not those two. They're going to have Goskowski. And then, and and let me lay this out too. That's if McCann or Ficken don't come in and immediately, I'm I'm talking, they've got a a couple weeks here to show rhythm and consistency on a daily basis. If they don't, Goskowski's coming in and the guys we're seeing on the practice field right now are competing for that 16-man practice squad during the COVID regulations where they need an emergency kicker. They're always going to have two, and I think Goskowski's one of them.
1: I would agree, Hutt. The thing is, if, you, if one of those guys does well enough to be on your practice squad and say it's Ficky, um, who I would presume is the better of the two, um, based on having actually made NFL kicks, um, everybody else in the league is also looking for two. And if Gaskowski comes here, somebody might have a shakier situation where potentially he gets a better crack somewhere else. Um, which we saw happen with Greg Joseph last year, who wound up uh, getting signed away. Right. So uh, there's a little bit of a shell game that goes on there, but you know, somebody I was talking with about uh, my distaste for training camp in general, and they were asking me why. And I, I, I said, take the kicking period. I spent 20 minutes of my life on Thursday watching two guys who are not going to kick in the NFL this year compete for a kicking spot. I I just don't understand the old school NFL philosophy where this is worth their time. I guess, I guess, you know, Morgan Cox gets to snap and Brett Kern gets to hold and the other guys get to go through the operation, though there's not really much of a rush going on there. seems to me, look, I'm no NFL football coach. And they know, uh, you know, I think Mike Vrabel's a good NFL football coach. But to me, that's an area I'd reevaluate where I'd say, like, this is the way we've always done it, but is this the way we should do it now? If if we're going to have Steven Gaskowski here eventually, should we save our kicking periods for then and oh. and not do this now? Should these guys kick separate uh, of the team and could we use this period for something else? I don't know. Am I crazy to think that way?
0: Paul, am I crazy to think that you went to the Steve Spurrier line of sunglasses <laughs> to buy those, uh, to whatever that atrocity is on your face right now? Those sunglasses, those are worse than anything I purchased in New Orleans during Hutton's These bachelor party no. of the sunglasses. You look like Paul you need a cord there. Those, those. Look, somebody's down here <laughs> so trying Ronnie. to get a
1: cord. Say hello. Come on. Say hello. Say hello. Look who's here, everyone. Hey,
2: it's yeah, Cal. Hey, Cal. good going. to see you. What's up, Cal? I'm
1: Cal Baxter. <laughs> Let's get back to um, your
2: sunglasses. <laughs> these are the same sunglasses I wore
1: the other day. I think you just want me to move back a little bit and <laughs> oh, okay. uh, I'll look just fine. These are fine. Lance kind of gave me a little like Those things <laughs> look <day>. huge. <laughs> now, it, was a, it was a drastic uh, change. Well, here's the thing they're big enough to cover the cancer spot, which is uncovered today by a band aid. Um, it's very glary in here. And again, the Maui gyms that I got for Father's Day, which are spectacular, scratched <laughs> in literally 15 days. These are the softest sunglasses. Tell me, they're like a baby's bottom. These, these, I mean, you put a piece of dust on these sunglasses and they scratch. I have them in my car. They're boxed and ready to be sent back. Sent back. And I think I told you guys, the note I wrote is I got these as an expensive gift. And I never would have asked for them if I knew that they would scratch if somebody blew on them incorrect. Um, so I'm very <laughs> upset by that. This is a pair of Adidas glasses that are like my backup glasses, Chad. And I think they're more expensive still than any of the glasses you bought in New Orleans. And I'm perfectly well, comfortable with them.
0: I have a pair of Mally Gems right here in my bag right now. Uh you, mean, are, yeah. you, but you want some Sincero over but you, you can't hide money, Paul, just like you have Maui Gems Sarah, either too.
1: Bring those, <laughs> bring those Mally gems over here.
2: Yeah. Uh, but, Paul, I, I, just because we're on the topic of kicker, I, I, I want to go ahead and, and, and jump into the, the, the discussion of McCann. They've invested in him, right? I mean, they they kept him on the IR last year on a practice squad. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. Yes. Um, no, he
1: it, was here
2: and not able to go. So they've invested in him. They think he's good enough to compete for the job. Now it's on him to not lose it. Like, it, it thickens in there to give him some competition and – Goskowski's always going to be hanging out there until he retires, and he hasn't retired because I think he's going to sign with the Titans again. Um, but but it's not it's not inconceivable to think he could win the job. We just don't think he will be consistent enough to win the job.
1: Well, I mean, he's hitting uh, three out of five. Right. So the first day he hit five out of five, or uh, and then since then he's hit three out of five. Uh, I think in two, in two days. And again, uh, there's also, we've talked about this. It's not just a matter of making them. It's a matter of how you make them, right? And so when he steps up there, is he banging them through? Like, you know, you feel like, hey, if this was a higher pressure situation with a game on the line and a big rush coming at him and, and a crowd breathing down his neck, you feel like he's in a good position? He doesn't exude that. Uh, that that's that's some reporters on the sidelines analysis. And, uh, you know, James Willow is certainly more qualified to discuss that. But Craig Alkerman to me doesn't have a very good track record with this. Craig Alkerman to me, uh, you know, doesn't have a very good track record. I think there's a big mm-hmm. year for Craig Alkerman. Uh,
2: I agree. I agree. The special
1: teams coach.
2: I, I agree with you. And, and let's, let you said three out of five. That's practically what the Titans have averaged over the last two years with their kicking combinations. Uh, over the last two years, collectively, they've made 28 field goals. That's the fewest in the NFL by a wide margin. And the group, collectively, over the last two years, they've made 60, exactly 60.9% 60. of their field goal attempts. That's 12% fewer than the second worst in the league over that same span. And and some would say, oh, well, this Titans offense scores at a rate where they don't need their kicker. That's absurd. That's not what it is. That's absurd because... Also, when you think of the top offenses in the league, if you go back over the last two years, Paul, Green Bay, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Kansas City, Seattle, they score a lot of points, and guess what they also do? They hit the majority of their kicks. They are the highest. That's one through five of, of made field goals over the last two years. The top offenses also make their kicks, which makes it that much more remarkable that the Titans are so low in that category with all the points left on the field, but yet the Titans averaged 31 points per game last season.
1: You know what excellent teams do also in in, in tight games? They they run two-minute drives that get them in field goal range to kick kicks that win or tie games. Um, you know, you don't always have to drive to a touchdown. Sometimes you have to drive to a field goal, and then that guy needs to make a clutch kick. Yeah, And, um, you know, right now they don't have a guy that exudes that. Now, look. I I want to allow for the possibility. Seems developed their own kicker, right? The Titans were fortunate. They went from Del Greco, who had a bad ending, to who? Nedney, who was a young kicker who kicked successfully uh, and who had a a long stretch. Gary Anderson was in the mix there during injuries and transitions. And then... um, uh, uh, Baronis. And then Baronis. That was a young guy that they kind of discovered and and had, but they haven't done a lot of Baronis. And, and, and then you went to <laughs> Suckup, who was a big time guy who had yeah. success somewhere else. So three out of their four big-time kickers were successes in the league before they got to the Titans. And so we're spoiled to be conditioned for that. You know, could Tucker McCann be the next Baronis? You know, you have to allow for the possibility of that. The reason we're not allowing for the possibility of that is the Titans have given us. No reason to think they know what they're doing with kicker based on how they've handled it the last two years. And that's a fair, a completely fair assumption. I mean, sometimes we pile on and we joke and all of that. They've given us a lot of reasons to joke. Two years ago was a fiasco. It's a miracle that they survived that went to the AFC championship.
2: I just don't buy that they're just going to stick with a guy that's hitting three or five in practice. We don't know what he's doing in the preseason yet. He's going to kick a lot. But and in, in Fickin too, we should factor him in a waiver claim, much like you know Brett Kern was a waiver claim, whenever the Denver Broncos released him, and that worked out well. So I, I'm not I'm not just throwing the towel in on a guy that they've claimed off waivers, but I also don't buy that they're just going to go into the season with a 60% rate in practice in the preseason and not allow Goskowski to be that type of player that they had last year, who hit, who actually hit some big kicks for them and someone that's been in some pressure moments. I, I would rather roll into the season with the same veteran I had last year than roll into some inconsistency with a younger player that I'm trying to get the most out of.
1: He also had some bad moments too, though, Hutt. Uh, uh, yeah, and, he you did. Know, wheels yeah. can come off of Gostowski at any moment based based on age and and you know a hamstring injury or whatever. Uh, so I'm going to allow for the possibility that Ficken, who did not have a bad year last year, though he didn't kick – you know,
2: 13 or 15, he, I he think, had, right?
1: He had 15 attempts, you know, that's not a lot of attempts, but a lot of guys kicked 22 times. So are we going to score him down massively? Cause he had seven fewer kicks cause he played for a horse bleep team last year. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. And I don't know the jet situation who they have that they cleared him out for. I, I wanted to look that up last night and frankly, never got to it, but I'll allow for the possibility he comes in here and he's, he's good enough for them to feel good going forward. With him, and I'll allow for the possibility that McCann turns it around, starts hitting four or five one day, and five or five the next day, and he's at ninety percent. And then he goes into the preseason games, and they give him enough cracks that they feel good about him. Quite frankly, that would be a really good scenario for them. Again, though, uh, the cause that they've given us to have faith in something like that panning out is very minimal.
2: I don't know the I don't know the kicker per se. I, I know just based on the story I was reading on on uh, Fickin that he that they have a rookie kicking in new york so uh, i think it was an undrafted player as well at that for for that rate um coming up
1: so they found somebody better than blake hobby uh
2: yeah (laughs) yeah they did uh coming up on the power hour we we get into some discussion about the titans defensive front paul has a take on tier tart uh more defensive energy it seems and some interceptions he hit on that early in the report Interceptions this time of year, you can take one of two ways. I'll I'll explain that coming up, and I think Vrabel tried to do that as well, and we'll get Paul's take on what Vrabel had to say on the Titans report here in the Tennessee Power Hour, Outkick 360. The Outkick 360 training camp update with Paul Koharski. OutKick 360 across the OutKick network alongside Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton, PK, of course, from Titans Training Camp. And if you're watching on YouTube, we hope you'll hit that button. uh, Subscribe to the channel. You're automatically entered to win by subscribing the Sony and Hertz Audison prize pack.
0: So if you subscribe to the YouTube channel, OutKick 360, you may be able to read just absolute dimes like this dropped into our YouTube chat. This coming from Lebowski who says, PK looks like he's going to leave camp in a 1994 Buick Regal and head straight (laughs) to a Bob Evans buffet. (laughs) (laughs) But now Paul has taken off the sunglasses, so that joke does not have the same effect. But if you only could have seen the sunglasses before, it was great.
1: Sunglasses are fine. The glare is fine. I can put the hat on.
0: There you go. Also, uh, Zach just paid two dollars. You can tip in the YouTube chat. <laughs> Zach gave two dollars and said, "Here's two bucks, Paul. Get normal-looking sunglasses. <laughs> those sunglasses are fine. Chad's the guy who'd take those two bucks and turn it into three pairs of sunglasses. If you send him the normal and all three would look better than those that you just had on your face.
1: <laughs> Nothing wrong with those sunglasses, Paul. Uh. I challenge all of you to come out, and cover training camp, uh, and not cover your face with a bunch of stuff."
2: Paul, let's get into uh, the defense. Who They've performed well over the last week other than day one uh, from what you've, you've told us and, and what others have put out there. The defense has been very competitive. Now, there have been some days where they've lacked some juice, uh, but I think the entire practice ha- has la- lacked some juice at times based on reports. Uh, today, though, you said the energy level was, was higher and better. What did Rabel say?
1: Yeah, well, first off, they're talking about energy and swag, the defensive energy and swag that they've had throughout camp. I I haven't seen that to the degree that they're talking about. Jeffrey Simmons was talking about it today. Uh, Bayard, I think, talked about it a little bit. I I mean, maybe it's there. It's not vocal. It's not loud. It's not noise. Today was vocal and loud and noisy from both sides of the ball. Everybody was celebrating everything that was good. On um, whichever side of the ball it was. And I thought it was terrific, and it was contagious, and it made for a, uh, a, a very lively practice. And I thought today was a very different practice than any of the four practices last week because of it. Um, so I, I felt like it was a point of emphasis coming in. Vrabel said he thought maybe it was guys coming back off of a, uh, off of a day off and kind of in, in anticipation of getting into pads tomorrow and, and all of that. Uh, so uh, I, I don't know. Um, but uh, it, it was different. And uh, I think the defense has been good. I think it's always harder to tell, uh, you know, about certain elements of the defense. Defense is generally ahead of the offense at this stage. Offense had a very good first day and hasn't been as good since. And um, But I do think some of the defense's wins have been because of offensive imprecision. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, I I wrote a very flattering piece about Ryan Tannehill today that I hope people will go read, kind of about these national misperceptions of him that are rather lazy. Um, But he's not been uh, the crisp Ryan Tannehill that we're used to seeing kind of at this stage. Uh, He's made some terrific throws, but he's also made some bad throws. And this could lead into the interception conversation. Christian Fulton had one today. Uh, in the corner of the end zone front corner of the end zone on a ball intended for AJ Brown. That is a nice interception, but I think it's more about the throw than it is about the pick. And we're able to discuss that today as a kind of double edged sword. Um, you like the pick. That is a really good defensive play. You don't like the pick that is a bad throw or bad defensive play. And, um, I I think they've had too many of the latter uh, and not enough of the former. Not that I'm expecting a ton of of picks to be made. It's very hard to intercept good passes in the NFL, but I think Tannehill and the rest of the quarterbacks have thrown too many interceptable passes. Um, And again, this is five days and it's not some crucial thing and you take some chances that you might not take in a game and, and all of that. But offensive crispness has been an issue that typically isn't an issue, even when the offense is maybe behind.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. And you know sometimes the interceptions are really hard to figure out whether or not the quarterback would throw that in a real game situation. Because look, I, one of the more irritating things for me as, as a if I were coaching back in the Vince Young era, and I, I realized we could list a lot of things, I hated in practice standing out there when he would tuck it and run when, when the play wasn't there or even if it was there, he wouldn't try to fit the throw in because you don't accomplish anything on that rep necessarily. I, if, the, if the play is not there, then that's fine. Throw it away. But if you think you can fit a throw in, practice is the time to let it rip and allow a defensive back to make a good play. So there, there is a fine line between making a great play as a defensive back and a quarterback who should have just thrown it away deciding that, you know what, maybe I'll try to fit this into a tight window just because it's practice. And, and with Tannehill, I lean towards the latter on that. And with a backup quarterback, I would lean towards uh, the, the, the first point where you know maybe, maybe you should tuck and run or throw it away.
1: And, and sometimes it's clear. Like Breon Borders had a pick, I think it was Saturday, it might have been Friday, where the play was flowing one direction. The receiver, I think, stopped. The ball was coming. Breon Borders flew past. He stopped. And then he dove, you know, and made yeah. a very good athletic play. Individually, isolation. You can see that is a very good athletic play by Brian Borders, who did well enough to read the play, stopped himself, and dove, you know, to get a pass. I didn't think it was a bad throw. I thought it was a, a very good athletic play by, uh, you know, it might have been a little bit late. On the throw, I don't remember which quarterback it was, but it was a very good athletic play by Brian Borders that you put a star next to and say that's a good play by Brian Borders. I think uh, Borders, not all of them are as clear cut as that.
2: Borders uh, has been impressive based on what you've told me in, in recent uh, reports here on the show, and I, I think what he's doing is elevating the play of the younger guys beneath him. You know, he's a vet; he doesn't have top end speed, but I think he knows his limitations. Uh, You mentioned he's much better in red zone than he is in open field. That's because of the top-end speed that he lacks. I think he's going to end up being a very serviceable backup corner for this defense that can enter a game when a guy goes down and give you some reps that are impactful to games. Uh, And Here's a player that's taken a nice step. I think think initially people were trying to put him into a battle uh, before we knew Farley was back that he was going to get some reps up with the the top tier. It's not going to be that. But I've been impressed based on what you've been saying about Breon Borders, Paul.
1: Yeah, he's continued to do well, even as they've opened up in more space. And, um, you know, Vrabel pays him very high compliments when he kind of s- says things like uh, he tries to do what we coach the way we coach it. Like, uh, I don't think he's straying from the, th- the thematics, uh, thematic, uh, the themes that they're giving them or the technique that they're giving them, you know, and I don't think guys do that uh, to be subversive. I think they just fall back into things that they've learned previously Mm -hmm. or in the moment they might cheat to what feels right. That might run counter to techniques that they're being taught or things like that. And I think Brian borders is one of the guys they use as an example that is constantly trying to do things strictly as they are taught to do them. And, you know, Who's that sound like? That sounds like a, a Vrabel and Vrabel staff poster guy. Um, and so he certainly helps himself with that, despite whatever limitations he has. And that helps his cause in, uh, in a great way. And it's leading to production uh, right now. And so Brian Borders is uh, in, in quite good standing.
2: So is Christian Fulton and, and what I've been told that coaches are emphasizing with him and, and I'm sure they're doing this with other players too but I think it's showing up with Fulton and Paul speak on this from what you've observed. They're asking him look that, that of course they want him to play tight and aggressive coverage but beyond that they want him to play with his heels on the cliff meaning go right to the edge to where you're about to fall off and take a chance and come away with a batted pass or take a risk, you may get, you may get beat on a throw, so be it. Let's see what the limitations are and how far you can push it with your press and aggressive coverage. And it sounds like that mentality he has carried over to the practice field over the first week and a day.
1: Well, I think certainly today probably counts as a little bit of a breakthrough day in terms of results because he had that interception and he had a couple other interception chances where he got his hands on the ball. He's probably kicking himself for his failure to uh, collect interceptions on those other chances. Um, but I would imagine they're telling him, look how close you are you know so if your heels are on the cliff yeah and, and you're getting into a point where your hands are on the ball, it's just a matter of time before that ball sticks to your gloves and, and you're in good shape. So I, I could see progress there. Also look, he needs to be more consistent Rabel was saying today and some of that consistency is being out there more. And, uh, I don't think he's the guy, obviously he's not the guy who's stopping himself from being out there. They're limiting him still, um, and, and easing him back from, from whatever, uh, whatever it's been that that's kept him from being a full go, um, at this stage, maybe some stuff lingering still from last year, maybe new stuff during the off season, but he's not a every snap guy. It doesn't seem like at this stage, um. Or, or you know, he hasn't been out there all the time, every day so far.
2: Paul, over the weekend, we heard from A.J. Brown and Julio Jones and their their press availability. A.J. Brown uh, stealing the show with some of the quotes on Saturday, saying that he feels comfortable within this offense. He can do I can do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. Uh, you love the alpha mentality coming from a number one wideout like that. He also says, look, I. I'm pretty sure everybody out here watching me knows I'm healthy, and soon the rest of the league is going to find out that I feel great. What were your takeaways from, from AJ's press availability this weekend and, and what you've seen from him describing him that last week as the best player on the field?
1: Yeah, he was terrific. Um, he, he was terrific at that press conference. You know, uh, it's rarer and rarer to have a guy who is just so comfortable in his skin and so confident about his game that he can say whatever he wants. Not that A.J. Brown's going to be a guy that uh, needs to, to challenge Rabel or Robinson or anything because this team is not in hard times right now. But if they were, he could and, and would. Um, and so uh, I think all of us just uh, on Saturday we had Brown and and Julio Jones and and uh, Todd Downing all talk and we were, we were happy we had we had good stuff. Um, he's played terrifically um, and there really isn't anybody that that can defend him out here. you know some people are saying, boy, that's got to suck if you're a defensive back to hear that. I, I don't think they're hearing anything they don't know, right? So the fact that he's verbalizing it, I don't think it's some big insult to these guys. They're living it out there. So um, I, I don't think they're thinking, "Man, AJ's dogging us." I mean, AJ's dogging them on the on the field <laughs> in this thing where uh, nobody can nobody can cover me, and I can do what I want. He's turned back to a rece- uh, a Dv or two and told them that. So it's not the first time he's used that that line. He, he rehearsed that line uh, that he told us at the podium. That's usually right here um out there when he's running away from guys uh so he's been excellent he's got to stay healthy and uh he looks like he's graduated to another level he said in addition to the knees last year one knee certainly sounded worse than the other that uh, he had an ankle problem and he was actually happy when he hurt the ankle because it distracted him from thinking about the knee Um, so that's how bad he was last year Um, he's explosive You know, he's got a man among boys feel to him on a lot of these things. And, uh, I'd be super excited. I saw somebody tweet, you know, I've seen enough. (laughs) You could put him on ice for the rest of the preseason. (laughs) Uh, and and I wonder if there isn't some, some thinking to that. And, uh, they continue to, at the end of the individual period with the receivers, he and AJ, uh, leave the receivers and, and go work with Tannehill, um, kind of on their own he did some work with uh aj did some work with Tannehill today in that scenario and then there was another time during um, a special teams period where julio was working uh on something along the back of the end zone where he was talking specifically to downing uh who was kind of walking him through some steps and then with uh rob moore the receivers coach and they were going over something very specific. And I think these are the moments that are going to pay off into that uh, getting in sync so that Tannehill with his top two receivers doesn't have those moments in the early games where somebody's walking off the field after a pick saying we, we weren't on the same page there. I think they're doing a lot of work, all three of them, to make sure the two top receivers and, and the quarterback will very much be on the same page.
0: All big league news today is the uh, confirmation of the extent of Carson Wentz injury in Indianapolis. Obviously, huge implications on the Titans division as well. What do you make of the news? Does this change any of your thinking with the Titans within the division given the state of the Colts?
1: Did they really say a 5 to 12-week timetable? Is that we've heard somebody threw that at they? It's Brable a big gap. Like, five it's to, a big gap. 5 to 12 weeks, huh? That pretty much covers every scenario, which is that's a ridiculous timetable. That's the same as giving no timetable. Um, like, I'm not real big on Wentz to start with, this idea that he's like an automatic cure uh, as soon as he's there working with Reich. I love the uh, Schefter mistaken tweet that initially said that Reich was having foot surgery. That was going to be tough. If they, if they both had bad feet, it really would have been difficult. The rehabbing together would have been really cute. I think um, I, I, you know, it's funny people out here are throwing names out like, well, they could go get Mariota. They could go get like, I, I don't understand why <laughs> Las Vegas would be anxious to put themselves in a bad backup quarterback situation unless the Colts are going to bowl them over and we know the Colts don't like to give away stuff so I I would think they drafted Eason in what the third or fourth round Mm -hmm. thinking that this was going to be a guy that they developed behind the scenes who would be their guy for a situation like this now they're really screwed because they didn't have a preseason last year and he didn't get the snaps that you need to be to give them a sense of who he is to, to be ready for a situation like this or not. I haven't been up on the headlines. You guys would know if, if there's been any reaching out to Philip Rivers, who I imagine is not coming out of retirement, but would be the first uh, call and, and, ask that, that you would be making. Uh, I think it's a good time to own Jonathan Taylor in a long-term fantasy league. And uh, obviously a good thing for teams to play them early, like the Titans do. Um, you know, I, I like the Titans over the Colts in this division with a healthy Carson Wentz. So I certainly like them now. Um, to, to me, it's more about what they can do against Kansas City and Buffalo and, and maybe Cleveland.
2: Their odds in Vegas dropped by 10% whenever the Wentz news was announced just to make the postseason because you don't know what they're going to do at the quarterback position. They, they signed Brett Hundley over the weekend. That's not a solution. They have Jacob Eason. They have Sam Ellinger. Uh, who knows? Uh, Paul, I mentioned earlier in the show that the the easy answer for me is to go trade for the third-string quarterback in Chicago right now, Nick Foles, and who, who ha- who's making nearly $7 million as the third-string option. And it makes sense for Chicago. You mentioned the backup option in, in Vegas. If something happens to their top two guys in camp, they have a third-string option that they're willing to pay backup money to like Foles. That's not third-string money, though, right? And, and if, the, if the Colts are willing to part ways with multiple draft picks, because keep in mind they're already at least losing a second-round pick for Wentz based on the percentage of snaps he takes in the regular season, it could be a first. It's likely now going to be a second. How much uh, is Ballard willing to part ways with in order to upgrade the position? If you think Wentz is back by October, if you think Wentz is back by Halloween instead of Thanksgiving, that likely changes your trade scenario because you're just trying to bridge the gap to get back to Wentz. If you think Wentz is closer to the week 12 Thanksgiving date, then maybe you're looking for more of a long-term starter in a trade. And do
1: you think Foles – I mean, not- uh, look, we all obviously think Foles is better than those options, but do they think Foles, you know, is is, is an answer? Uh, if they do, how much would it suck for Carson Wentz if Foles got there and had some success and he deals right. with, uh, with Foles again? Well, do, you know, uh, like they did in Philly when the guy went won a Super Bowl.
2: So, my, yeah, exactly. But my my thought process there is you're trading for a guy in August, right? If if that's what they do, Gardner Minshew's been mentioned, uh, Mariota's been mentioned, but you could go get Foles, who knows the offense and would know Reich. And, and to me, that's just an easier transition. And you're right, the poet the, the the poetic aspect of this oh. is right there, where he's coming in to jump in for Wentz, and then Wentz comes back healthy and takes the job. But, but there, there's, there's a level of, okay, Foles knows what we're doing immediately as soon as he lands, that the other guys would not, uh, would not offer immediately. It would take a couple of weeks to get up to speed.
1: I mean, Mariota's the best option, but uh, if you're Oakland, you're asking for a hell of a lot for Mariota because then you're leaving yourself with a bad back, well, backup situation. And you know what happens as soon as you trade Mariota, Carr twists his ankle. Uh, if you trade for Gardner Minshew, then you know the moment you trade for Gardner Minshew, Trevor Lawrence suffers a six-week injury, and then you've you've got no backup plan. So you're going to have to make a pretty hefty offer, and that doesn't really uh, jive with how the Colts are operating in terms no. of what they do with their draft right. capital.
2: I, I agree with you there. Um, you mentioned picking up the phone and calling. And calling um, who did who did he mention? Paul, who did you mention calling? Rivers. Oh, Philip Rivers. That's right, Philip Rivers. I would pick up the phone and call Andrew Luck.
1: I, I can't imagine they haven't, but I, I would imagine you get the same answer every time you talk to Andrew Luck. I'd
2: I, I start with Andrew Luck over Philip Rivers. Hey, Andrew, you want to come no, back and too. bridge it?
0: Andrew Luck then just responds with, "Would you like to be a guest on my book club podcast book first, cl- book club. and then we'll talk yeah. football?" Tip for <laughs> tap. <tack.
2: laughs> uh, coming up, we hit some other headlines from Titans camp and uh we'll close out the show with the 360 parlay as well on outkick 360. Outkick 360's daily parlay fanduel.com ok 360 chad withrow your honor sir
0: go big or go home we may be going home after this <laughs> we're about going about to, be, big. Hope to go big we're going yankees on the money line paul likes that brewers on the money line the San Francisco Giants and the money line, all big favorites tonight. The one I'm a little bit more concerned about: Spain covering the 12 and a half against Team USA. Oh, that game Spaniards. tips at 12:40 a.m. Eastern time. Got to watch out for those Spaniards. <laughs> and then France minus eight and a half against Italy. That game, by the way, tips off at 3:20 a.m. Central time tonight. That's five dollars for a potential fifty-three dollar payout. Let's go big boys. Let's do it. Let's go do big. It. Yeah, well let's do it. Uh, Paul. Sure.
1: And to the uh if you went to the Garth Brooks thing, serves you right. Come on. That's God washing oh, Giving showers to a lot of people that haven't taken
2: them. I hope I hope a lightning strike happens and it cancels your Stones tour at uh, at Nissan Stadium for saying It'll that.
1: It'll be a pristine night for the Stones. It'll be a pristine night.
2: I hope the second coming of Noah happens that night.
0: Garth I Brooks mean, did you is see one of the from best from concerts the I've there? ever seen. Maybe the, maybe did the best. Did you see
1: pictures from some of the people there? Some of the people were so inebriated they thought they were meeting Ryan Tannehill because they saw a guy
0: in a Titans hat you don't think people that go to rock concerts aren't inebriated the guy no probably shirts? subscribes
2: to your website
1: well yep. yeah and if he does i'll tell him i'll tell him
0: he's a dumbass
2: um chad the yes. the vols land a huge recruit for josh heupel
0: yeah addison nichols who is a four-star top 150 prospect from norcross georgia big time offensive tackle uh, chooses tennessee over ohio state and north carolina Why is that big? Tennessee's not doing a lot in recruiting right now, and a lot of that is self-imposed because they've yet to self-impose with the NCAA, and I have no idea why they continue to count off days and not go ahead and give their own penalty so they can stop being negatively recruited against with what the NCAA is going to do. And, oh, by the way, the NCAA has no power right now, so I really don't get that. But good news for Tennessee and Josh Heupel. This is the biggest commitment they've received so far, Addison Nichols, was someone basically everyone in the SEC wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was down at Tennessee, Ohio State, North Carolina, and Josh Hypo lands him. So, big get for Tennessee. Um,
2: Paul, tomorrow, a lot of the the battles in the trenches actually get going because the pads will be on. All eyes will be on the interior defensive linemen and the battle at right tackle.
1: I will, uh, a lot of people can't stay away from the receivers, and I imagine they'll be. Wide receivers and defensive backs going one on one. If Caleb Farley's in that, I, I would be inclined to to take mm-hmm. a peek. Otherwise, uh, offensive line, defensive line, one on ones are the star attraction tomorrow. Um, Dylan Raidens and, and everybody else. I I I, I would think Taylor Lewand still not be in that, but um, I, I'm anxious to see how people do. Tier Tart today has, has been one of the guys talked about at camp. I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention a great play I saw today. Where's a pitch play to Darrington Evans going out wide left. And first guy to arrive was big Tier Tart, who uh, looks to be in fine condition and uh, sprinted, you know, from the middle of the field out to the edge to be the guy that met Darrington Evans at the sideline. Very impressive play. Anxious to see what he and Jeffrey Simmons uh, and some of the interior guys do in pass rush one-on-ones because that interior penetration is going to be a huge part of what goes on here. And we're not going to be able to watch Bud Dupree.
2: You know, an underrated storyline for pads, and, and uh, he has a place on this roster. It's not like he has to press. Anthony Ferkser. Anthony Ferkser at tied end, because there's been a lot of talk about his blocking abilities. And I won't be surprised if they try to mix and match and, and get him to, you know, to get his uh, hands dirty a little bit in the trenches tomorrow uh, with, the, with the first. And, and, and the fact that, Paul, you said he put on some weight, which is a good thing. Um, I, I wonder how much that benefits him, especially with knowing that Swaim and Stocker are in on the mix now too.
1: We could see uh tight ends going against uh linebackers um and and running backs. So that's always an interesting drill as well. It's hard to know what's a win there sometimes because yeah. uh you know, if you hold up a guy for for a second, you know, is it's that a win. sufficient? Yeah. Sometimes it, could be. it is. Yeah. yeah
2: we we'll look forward to it tomorrow, Paul. Good stuff today, and uh, we will be checking in with you tomorrow at noon central, 1 eastern.
1: Great to see you guys. Don't block the box. Do lock the box.
2: Back at it tomorrow. See you, Paul. Kick 360. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day, and give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.